Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ETDers. I'm Stephanie Hubka, a chapter past president and a member of the Pod Squad here at the Metro DC chapter of ETD. And I'm Christina Eanes, Vice President of Marketing and Communications. We also have Helena Hodges, our Vice President of Finance and Operations, as our producer. For this episode, we are interviewing Sophie Oberstein. Welcome, Sophie. Thank you so much for having me. You actually are my local ATV chapter, having moved to DC during the pandemic. So thank no you kidding. for Well, welcome to town. Welcome to the chapter. We are even more excited now to have a conversation (laughs) with you today. And before we get started, we're going to talk today about troubleshooting for trainers. So I'm, I am beyond excited to talk about that. But before we do, we'd love it if you would tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Sure. So... I've kind of invented a word for myself because I'm sure you've heard the expression accidental trainer. Oh, yeah. So those are the people who are so good at the work that they do that someone taps them on the shoulder and says, well, you should teach other people how to do this. And they sort of fall into training and development without having that kind of background. I, on the other hand, am one of what I think of as the few intentional trainers. (gasps) Because, yeah. My my first job career out of college was teaching high school English. And I really loved teaching high school English, but for a variety of reasons, I couldn't do that anymore. But was thinking, well, how can I still do meaningful work? And how can I still help give people skills and knowledge that they need to be successful as I was doing in an academic setting with teenagers and stumbled upon the field of learning and development and very intentionally went back to graduate school Um, got a degree in human resources management, a certificate in training and development. And I've been in this field for 25 plus years since then. Wow. Wow. What I do have in common with a lot of other trainers is having kind of very varied roles, right? So I have been internal to organizations from Citibank to Weight Watchers to Columbia University Medical Center, um, and external as a consultant, I've been at private companies, I've been at public government agencies, Redwood City, California, higher education, um, NYU, um, and, you know, just across topics too, banking, leadership, customer service, empathy, risk management, trucking even. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, I guess what it just goes to show is that... You know, my expertise then is in instructional design, which is completely agnostic to industry, to content, to audience. So that's that's kind of the thread that's run throughout my career. And then in, on the side, I'm an author, wrote, wrote this book and a few others for ATD. I'm a coach. And also I am an instructor with both ATD and their certificate programs and with NYU in the School of Professional Studies in their learning design certificate program. Oh, that's fantastic. That's me. What a a great varied background. And, you know, I think you're totally right about instructional design being that kind of common thread. You can work in pretty much any industry as long as you've got that good solid background in what instructional design is and how to use it well. So 
That's fantastic. And I think a really nice segue into talking a little bit about troubleshooting for trainers. And I kind of like to start with the idea because I know this is a book you've written. This is certainly a topic you probably know better than anybody. I'd love to know if there's a story behind that. How did you first come up with the idea that it would be helpful to have some sort of a guide or something to help trainers figure out what troubleshooting might look like on the job? Sure. So there were sort of two um, things. Yeah. I struggled for a word like things. Things is a good uh, word. <laughs> <laughs> that um, that contributed to, to this idea. One was I was looking for a good text for my learning design certificate program at NYU. And I wasn't finding exactly what I was looking for. But then I had to think about, well, what's what's missing? What there's there's so many books out there. Why isn't there a book that meets meets my needs? And um, one day it just occurred to me that the book should align with some adult learning principles itself. And one of those adult learning principles is that people are motivated to learn things that will help them solve a problem or that they can apply right away. Yeah. And so I started collecting from my students, from participants at the ATD Core 4 conference, from my colleagues, you know, what are some of the problems that people entering this field? And actually what it turned out to be is, is anyone in the field commonly experiences. And so let's organize the book around those to actually sort of illustrate adult learning principles as a, in addition to talking about and communicating those adult learning principles. I love that. And I, I looked through the book and I love how you address a whole bunch of different scenarios. And, and one of them that in particular popped out for me was the, um, professional credibility. I can't remember exactly what the title was, but then I thought, oh, imposter syndrome. Because I know mm -hmm. I hit that when I first started training about 25 years ago. And I know I get asked about it too. And it's been so long. It's like, ugh. so do you have suggestions for, for that scenario? Sure. And it certainly, again, is something that is common. You know, we, we've, we've all felt a little of that imposter syndrome or just, you know, had people come up to you, I don't know if this has happened to you, but certainly it happened to me, especially earlier on saying, you're not an expert in banking or yes. trucking or risk management. Yeah. How come yeah. you're teaching this or writing this training program? And I really had to educate them in talking about, well, basically in calling myself a translator. Mm -hmm. So mm. I may not have all that knowledge in my head, but the subject matter expert, the person who does is either so far removed from being new to this or just is so sophisticated that they really can't explain it in, in terms that someone who's just coming up a learning curve can actually get. So my job is to translate what's in their brains to what learners can absorb and what apply, what uh, adheres to some, some common learning principles. Hmm. That's the, that's what I bring to the table. So it, it is tough because you know, you, you sort of have to establish credibility with each new project that you're on and educate people with each new project on what is my role and how, how, what do I bring to this, to this party? So, um, so yeah, credibility becomes, becomes an issue because you're stepping into so many areas that you, you're not the smartest person in the room. Yeah. 
I sincerely but, um, wish I'd had that when I first started in training <laughs> or consulting for that matter. I mean, it seeps in, I think, no matter where you are in the industry and sometimes by surprise. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think some of the advice that I give in that challenge about, well, that, that section about credibility is part of it is, is changing your own self-talk, realizing that you do have a piece of this puzzle that you are someone who can actually relate to the learners because you are learning it yourself. And you also, also can um, make, make content digestible. You know more about how to chunk content or what, what cognitive overload is or how to avoid that so that you can, you can um, embrace your beginner lens and you can also explain what you, what you contribute to this, to this picture. So a lot about a lot is that a lot is just about being curious and asking questions and learning and being being vulnerable to say I don't know explain it to me and explain it to me like like you would want a learner to do it. So um, and sometimes it's being patient with yourself as well and and um, yeah. admitting what you don't know. You know we 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 think that we'll we'll come off as not credible if we say explain this to me I don't understand it or I don't know how this works. When really, if we just go with it and pretend we know, that's going to catch up with us. And that will harm Absolutely. our credibility in the end, as opposed to enhancing it. Yeah, it definitely will. And I'm thinking too now, you know, credibility is probably something that a lot of people can relate to. I'm curious, you know, maybe based on feedback or based on reception, what are some of the common challenges that trainers should feel prepared to troubleshoot? Wow. Well, I'm going to cheat here because... Oh, go for it. Um, <laughs> we encourage that. No worries. <laughs> I don't necessarily... In fact, I have, um, in the conclusion of the book, I have the 10 most common challenges that trainers face. Yeah. Um, it's not a scientific study, but I did you know, do a lot of, of asking around, reading and research to figure out what I think were the, the top 10 areas. So I'm not going to read all 10 out mm. to you, but let's uh, let's look at some of the, the top three, maybe. Yeah. Oh, I love um, that. <laughs> one is the, the, the number one most common problem is providing training when the problem can't be solved by training. Yeah. And this ties back to credibility, right? Because when so you true. do just become an order taker and just deliver the training someone asks you to deliver and it doesn't hit the mark or it doesn't have long lasting effects or get applied at work, that affects your credibility too. Yeah. So really being able to do a thorough assessment of the request that you're getting, of an analysis of the need that's coming to you to make sure that you're going down the right path and that you're going to create a program that's going to be effective. Oh gosh, um, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that you've hit on something that is so important for so many of us because that's probably a challenge everyone either has faced or will face at some point in time. We're going to solve it with training. Here you go. Take it away. <laughs> and when it doesn't work, a lot of times I find, especially instructional designers aren't necessarily prepared to advocate for a different solution, especially because instructional design is what they do. You know, I mean, training is really where they find themselves. So right. being aware of what else is out there, I, I think you've, you've absolutely hit it, you know, right on the head. That is, that's really important. 
Yeah, I mean, there are so many reasons we don't want to say no. One is because, you know, people will say, but, but you are a trainer. Aren't you supposed to be right. <laughs> delivering training then? Um, or, uh, you know, or just because we, we don't want to be naysayers, we want to be helpful, or we're new and we're just starting out and we really think we have to do what people ask us to do. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's that's one of the, that, that's probably the top uh common mistake that I came across. Yeah. Um, another is teaching the way that you learn best mm, or yeah. the way that you were taught mm-hmm. as opposed to thinking about um, all the different ways that you can deliver top uh, content. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's another one. You know, I'm, as you're sharing that, I'm thinking that is probably a very common trap that a lot of people fall into, especially Instructional designers who love to design a certain type of training. You know, if you love e-learning development, for example, or design, and you're not really being asked to deliver something that fits into that, but you want to try to squeeze it in anyway because it's your sweet spot, it's very tempting. But yeah, yeah, if you forget your learners and all of this, you know, if it's not learner-centered. activity that you love and it goes really well, you know, it's almost like, what is that? You have a, a... square hole and you you want everything to you know round peg to fit into that square hole but it doesn't necessarily bias you can try yeah (laughs) yeah yeah oh my gosh that's another great one and let's see oh there's a kind of a toss-up between three and so many good ones here i I can Uh, tell i love this leaving evaluation as an afterthought not getting management on board putting Mm. too much material or content into your training those round oh out the top five. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I every curious. one of those is relatable. Oh, absolutely. And this may kind of wrap into that, but coming from the federal government, well, I've had my own business for almost 10 years, but before that, um, I know a lot of the things that we ran into were mandatory training and difficult participants. Where does that fall in with all of this? Well, mandatory training... <sighs> Oh, I know so I sigh people... too when I hear that. <laughs> oh, I think everyone's that's... sighing. <laughs> I don't necessarily sigh when I hear mandatory yeah. training. I feel like it's a it's a special creativity challenge for me yeah. because I don't yeah. think so many people are like it's mandatory training, so it's going to be boring. Yeah. It's mandatory training, so it's going to not be engaging. And I just think that's a myth that hampers all of us. Absolutely, because. Um, all the principles of instructional design still apply. And we forget that. We forget that, you know, there should be chunking in our programs and space Mm. in between each chunk for people to digest and try things out. But with compliance training in particular and mandatory training in particular, you can't say to an organization, you know what, I want to teach a little piece of this and then I want people to go back to work. And then I'll teach another little piece when they're saying, (laughs) we need to check off the box for this training yesterday. We can't give you... extended periods of time to do little modules along the way. But all of the principles of adult learning still apply to to mandatory training. And and we just, and and I'm saying this as if I've never fallen into this myself, (laughs) and certainly I have, you know, there are the constraints out there that, that make you have to do it the way that, you know, a way that does not conform to adult learning. But that's why mandatory compliance type of training gets a bad rap is because we we don't always have the luxury of being able to do it correctly. Mm, yeah. But doing it correctly um, 
can can actually make some of those those courses that seemed the hardest and the worst for you when you first got the request into the most fun because it's a challenge to kind of make it engaging and grab people's attention and build in the what's in it for me. Um, yeah, I kind of I kind of relish some of those opportunities. <laughs> I love the perspective change. It's it's nice to look at it differently as a challenge, something that you can get creative with. Yeah. I do too. And I, I can't help but think that some of the, the common trouble spots that you shared really play into some of that work too. The one I think of is don't forget about the evaluation. And, you know, sometimes it's coming at mandatory training from that perspective. Where do we need people to be? And, you know, what are, what are our expectations? How do we align that up front before we start to develop that? That sometimes can unlock some of those creative challenges too. Right. That's a, that's a, I, I do. I really appreciate the change in perspective that I'm now getting on some of that. <laughs> I've had my fair share of mandatory training requests. Mm -hmm. They haven't been my favorite. They may be now. <laughs> I I'm also thinking too, you know, I, I think a little bit about the idea of troubleshooting and how helpful this would have been for me early on in my career, but I'm not there anymore. I am, you know, years in. So I'm wondering, if it changes at all, how you might prepare yourself when you are getting ready to troubleshoot when you're in your early career versus later in your career? Are there differences there or is it really kind of a matter of matching up your experience to some of the pitfalls that you maybe you now know to expect? Because I've had people read this book who have had no experience and are wanting to get into the field. And I've had people read this book after 15 years of experience. Yeah. And Luckily, I, I've been really honored to have them say, I got something from that regardless. Mm. Um, I, I think that maybe the challenges you're going to focus on might be different. And also you might, as a more experienced designer and trainer, be be putting the polish on mm. things as opposed to building mm. the foundational blocks. Um, you might have a little more confidence in some of the mindset shifts that I suggest instead of saying, you know, the whole thing about saying no to a request that comes to you. You may have a little more experience to be able to say, sure, I could do it the way that you're asking. And I'm not going to be able to guarantee that you're going to get the outcomes that you're looking for. Um, because this is either something that would be better suited for coaching or for some other approach, or because the the methodology you're suggesting is not going to work here. Um, so I, th I think you you maybe have a little more confidence to take some of my suggestions and go with them because you you kind of have seen it yourself. Um, but I do think I, I do think all of us are, you know, we're about continuous growth and learning. So we too can continually grow and learn and come back to some of these challenges. Um, or I even have a team, for instance, excellent facilitators. They're, they're phenomenal. And they will come to our meeting someday and say, oh my goodness, what do I do? I haven't had such a challenging participant in such a long time. And I've tried all the usual tricks with this person and it's just not working. What can I do? You know, let me talk to the hive mind. That's what we call this mm. team meeting. Um, and and so even there, someone who just is like, yeah, I, I sort of know what to do, but I want it validated. <laughs> I want to confirm yeah. it. Or I sort of know what to do, but that didn't work. So what's the next thing? So hopefully the book has a few little next things for people even further along in their careers. 
Nice. Well, even we just had a perspective shift, right? On the mandatory training. So I'm thinking, (laughs) you know, (laughs) there's one right there, a nugget. (laughs) And I think it speaks so well to the value of troubleshooting with friends in a way, you know, relying on your team and on the perspectives of others. And perhaps that's something that shifts a little bit as you mature in the field or in your role um, early on, you may not feel like you have the network necessarily. And the more experience you get, the more a network you have, maybe the easier it is to rely on some of them too. But the power right. of connection right there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and there's that piece of vulnerability too. Like you're, you're a little more willing to say what you don't know. Yes. Or ask oh, for help. what a great point. <laughs> Absolutely right. Okay. So if people want to know more, they got to get the book. (laughs) Because we are now moving into our rapid fire section session. (laughs) Rapid fire questions (laughs) at the end of the episode. (laughs) So at the end of every episode, we ask three rapid fire questions that should take no more than about 60 seconds to answer. Are you ready? Wow. I thought I was, but you made it sound so solemn. Yes, I'm ready. I need to do like the, are you ready? I don't know. Okay, here we go. All right. So what is one book that everyone must read and why? Well, if it's okay, I'm going to talk fast and try and do a training related book and a non-training related book. No problem. Please do. Um, uh, for for my certificate students, I always recommend Evidence-Based Training Methods by Ruth Colvin Clark. Mm-hmm. I just think there is so much out there that is not grounded in evidence and not grounded in research. And she makes a real point of distinguishing between de- content that is or theories that are versus not. And she has some fabulous uh, theories, you know, evidence-based research in there about visuals, about all kinds of things we don't even necessarily think of. So I I love that book. Um, And then I thought I would just do a book that's not training related. I I mostly read fiction, but I'm not going to give you a fiction title. I'm going to give you a title that I give to most of my coaching clients. You know, so many of my coaching clients over the years, it's an older book, but it is called Brag, The Art of Tooting Your Own Horn Without Blowing It. Um, you know, and maybe this comes back to the whole thing about confidence and the whole thing about being able to, to sell yourself. But, um, yeah, that's a great book about kind of feeling comfortable promoting yourself. Hmm. I like that. Okay. Uh, let's see. What is one tool you can't live without? I wouldn't necessarily have picked this one pre kind of virtual learning explosion pandemic, but uh, the tool that's become really, uh, I can't live without it right now is idea boards with a Z Mm. at the end. Um, It's free, no registration. It mimics a gallery walk in a classroom setting because you put questions up and people can put stickies, but it organizes them by different questions. So it's like having separate flip charts on the wall. People can upvote each other's ideas. Um, and then with one click, you get beautiful reports or spreadsheets from it. So I, I wow, am loving idea boards. Okay. I'm going to check that one out after this. Same here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What is one, uh, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Gosh, there's a thing. I keep going with 
I'm going to give you two instead of one. Um, <laughs> Go for it. No, because one one is a great piece of advice, but has no story. The other one has a story. So um, um, my favorite piece of advice is, I believe, an old Turkish proverb that says, no matter how far down a wrong road you've gone, turn back. Hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm big on that. I like that. Um, but the other piece of advice that has a story with it is um, from an old boss of mine who came up to me one day and said, you know, people here are really impressed with your work ethic and how much you get done. You're a real workhorse, but they wish you would do a little more what we used to call water cooler conversation, just uh. schmoozing with people. And um, I was devastated by this feedback. I'm all about being a coach and having relationships. And to hear that was, was hard, but she gave me a piece of feedback that really has changed all of my interactions, written, spoken, et cetera. She said, connect before content. Mm. So even if that connection is just, Hey, how was your weekend? And by the way, I need help on something. It's, it's just that, that moment of connection before you go at what it is you need or want or yeah. to talk about. That's great advice. I often have to remind myself to do that too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we get so busy. It, it's hard. We want to dive right in and get it done. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's beautifully said. And, you know, speaking of connections, it's kind of a wonderful way for us to wrap up today because I am really grateful we had a chance to connect with you. You have given us so many ideas, different takes on problems, different takes on course design. I can't <laughs> thank you enough for joining us for our episode today. Thank you for that. It's been really a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this has been wonderful. And of course, many thanks to all of you in our community for listening. And before you go, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Are you interested in learning more about the Metro DC chapter of ATD or following us on social media? Go to dcatd.org and click on About. Love this episode? Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and provide a review. 